This is Carl Hughes with Town Square Media, your host for Issues and Answers. Issues and Answers is a public affairs program for Western Colorado. Residents and members of our community tell us what concerns they have. And from that feedback, we identify significant issues to include in our weekly program. Today, my guest is Wu Bandol, Community Engagement Manager with the Alzheimer's Association of Colorado, Western Colorado Chapter. Today, we will be discussing Alzheimer's, its effects on the patient, as well as their families and the work of the local Alzheimer's Association. Wu, welcome to Issues and Answers. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you, Carl. Well, let's start off with all about Wu. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to become the local Alzheimer's Association's Community Engagement Manager. Sounds good. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Wu Bandel, and I have always had a passion for working with the geriatric population, and so went to college to focus on that. My background is in social work and have worked in long-term care, so adult day services and memory care, as well as skilled nursing in the past. And I had the opportunity to volunteer for the Alzheimer's Association in Minnesota, um, which is how I ended up uh, getting an opportunity to work for the Alzheimer's Association at the Minnesota-North Dakota chapter um, in 2019. I am originally from Colorado and just as of last November had the opportunity to transfer back to Colorado, my home state, to be closer to my family and my grandmother, who is currently living with Alzheimer's disease. And I'm super excited to be a part of the Colorado chapter. Let's talk a little bit about Alzheimer's. I think everybody is familiar with the name and, and the condition, but I think people tend to lump all forms of dementia under that one umbrella of Alzheimer's. And really, dementia is more of a, an umbrella diagnosis and not a specific disease. Isn't that right? The, Alzheimer's is its own very specific disease. Correct. So we like to explain it as dementia is an overarching umbrella term that is a collection of symptoms that could impact memory, reasoning or thinking um, or even behavior in some at some times. And Alzheimer's is actually a specific cause or type of dementia. It is the most common cause of dementia and accounts for about 60 to 80 percent of all causes, which is why we think a lot of people use those terms interchangeably. But there are a lot of other causes of dementia, which could be Lewy body dementia, frontal temporal dementia, or vascular dementia, as well as Alzheimer's dementia. I'm going to digress a little from my original path here because something you said made me think about this. Um, you started working with the Alzheimer's Association in 2019. 2020 must have been an interesting year for caregivers, for the Alzheimer's Association. How did that impact everything that you were doing? Yeah, it was. It significantly impacted all of us, as we know. But I think one of the biggest things we saw is the impact on not only caregivers, um, the, a lot of those respite services did have to close down. So when I say respite, that's adult day services, home care services, or even um, short stays at uh, long-term care facilities. And so that respite wasn't an option. So not only disrupted the routine for the person living with dementia, which we know is really important for quality of life, but it also significantly impacted the caregivers because they didn't have a break as they normally 
have with those respite services, and they really deserve and need that break as well. That's a difficult thing, and we'll talk about that coming up in the interview, is the disease really has great impacts both on the person who is suffering from the disease and equally and sometimes more importantly on the caregivers. Now, there's no cure for Alzheimer's, is there? That is correct. So that our our vision statement at the Alzheimer's Association is a world without Alzheimer's and all other dementia. So that is our goal, is to find a cure for all types of dementia. Um, and in the meantime, we will be working to find treatments, hopefully prevention, um, and also care and support for those that are impacted by the disease until we find that cure. And I'm sure that all of our listeners, and myself included, have had some impact on our lives through either somebody in our family, somebody that we know who has been touched by Alzheimer's disease. Do you have any statistics about whether it's local or within the state of Colorado, how many people are affected by this disease? A couple of statistics that stand out to me are currently there's over 6 million Americans that are currently living with Alzheimer's disease. In the state of Colorado specifically, there are 76,000 individuals, 65 and older, with Alzheimer's, and that number is projected to reach 92,000 by the year of 2025. And finally, we know that one in three seniors does currently pass away uh, living with Alzheimer's or another dementia. With my limited experience with people with the disease of Alzheimer's, the progression of the disease just varies widely, I think, with each individual. So it's not one of those things that if somebody's diagnosed, there's a clear path on how the disease will progress. It really is very individualized, isn't it? That is correct. We often say if you know one individual living with Alzheimer's or dementia, you just know that one individual because although it's a progressive fatal disease and we know there's a continuum, each individual is going to experience the disease process differently. Well, the Alzheimer's Association is really one of the biggest or the biggest organization with its focus on Alzheimer's um, both support for the people providing care, the patients, and as you mentioned earlier, research. For the association chapter here in Grand Junction, it's not just Grand Junction that you're covering and providing help to, is it? What parts of Western Colorado do you cover? Yeah, you're correct. So we are typic we're a national company, typically separated out by chapters. So we're a part of the Colorado chapter. And then we have different staff members who serve throughout the state of Colorado. My office is located in Grand Junction, Colorado, but I serve Mesa County down to the southern border. We typically say the southwestern region of the state or the western region of the state is the area that um, I specifically cover along with my coworker who focuses on the walk to Alzheimer's. And that's quite a bit of geography for one person to cover. Are you ever home? Uh, <laughs> I am, I am home at times, but I'm really glad you bring that up. We're not in the office at all times. I, like, for example, I'll be in Durango next week serving, serving that area. So we really do encourage you to make an appointment with us. We'd love to have you stop by our office um, and pick up some literature, materials, or resources. But we do encourage you to make an appointment since we're not there as much as, as, much as you'd think we might be, given our, our geography we cover. As a nonprofit, it's wonderful to see that, you know, you run with a very lean staffing, but on the plus or downside, I guess, depending on how you look at it, that's a lot of work for the two of you between the walk and every every county that you're covering. 
Well, we're we're happy to do it. I'm grateful for the opportunity, and it's really fun to get to know different communities in, in the southwestern region of the state. We've talked about this, and I think it's probably one of the most important things we can visit about today. The person who has Alzheimer's certainly is going through changes in their own life, but their awareness of it obviously is, is not really there and is diminishing as the disease progresses. But the, the families or the caregivers who are providing the care for this person, that's a, a pretty involved process, both physically and emotionally, isn't it? It is. It's not only hard for that individual that's that receives that diagnosis of some type or cause of dementia, but then, of course, what that means for the caregivers and the families, their, you know, their plans for the future will significantly change given it's a progressive disease. It is so difficult to have all your memories added to you with the memories of this person in this disease because it, it so measurably changes the person with the disease. And so the effects on a caregiver aren't just immediate. They're really a long-lasting event, aren't they? It, exactly. We call that, we talk a lot about ambiguous grief or ambiguous loss, meaning although that individual is present with us physically throughout the course of the disease, there is loss throughout the, you know, often four to 10 year progression of the disease. And, and that's really what we talk about a lot with caregivers is that ambiguous loss and the challenges that comes along with that. So as a progressive disease, the work and the strategies that a caregiver uses change, doesn't it? I, I mean, it's not the same type of care when a, a person is first diagnosed as uh, near end of life with the progression of the disease. So the, the caregivers have to be pretty adaptable, don't they? Yes, we talk a lot about changing our expectations, which can certainly be hard. And, you know, we talk about Alzheimer's or really all dementia in um, as a progressive disease, as a continuum with different stages. And throughout those different stages, how we communicate with that individual living with dementia, um, as well as how we help care for them and support them, significantly changes throughout each of those stages. And there really isn't a notary's manual that we're given when this happens. Life doesn't step up and say, oh, here's what will happen and here's what you can do, because a lot of it is so personalized for your loved one or the person you're caring for. And with it constantly changing, that's just got to be incredibly stressful. Yeah, we talk we talk a lot about caregiver emotions, and one of those is feeling very stressed. We try to normalize that. It's it's really common to feel frustrated, anxious, sad, and stressed out given the situation. And so we try to provide caregivers with as much support as possible throughout that progression. I would think besides the physical exhaustion and the emotional exhaustion, especially for a family member, there's got to be some guilt because if you do feel frustrated or start to feel angry, it, it's got to be overwhelming that you, you know, started to have that emotion and now you feel bad that that actually occurred. Absolutely. Guilt is probably one of the top emotions we talk about at our support groups or just one-to-one -one with caregivers as well. Um, again, normalizing that it's it's common to feel guilty, whether that is starting respite services or maybe deciding that it's time to use long-term care services very common for caregivers to feel guilt or guilty about the changes that are happening. And what a terrible thing to have that additional layer of guilt when you're physically and emotionally exhausted anyway. It's, it's a lot for a caregiver to get through. We're going to continue visiting about caregivers in just a minute. 
But I do want to thank everyone who is listening. If you're just joining us, my name is Carl Hughes, and you're listening to Issues and Answers with Town Square Media. And today we're visiting with Wu Bandol, who is the Community Engagement Manager with the Alzheimer's Association of Colorado, the Southwest Colorado chapter, but really the Western Colorado chapter. And we're talking about Alzheimer's, the disease itself, and we're continuing our discussion now with the impact that has on caregivers. So caregivers' health, I think, is one of those things that tends to get kind of tucked under the table because the person with the disease is the focus of everything. And I would guess even caregivers neglect their own health in the pursuit of really providing loving and competent care for their person. Yeah, that's exactly. That's one of the things we often talk about at whether it's a support group, and I know we'll get into that a little bit further, but we really try to focus on self-care and the importance of self-care and that everyone, regardless of it's superwoman or superman, they can't do this alone and they deserve a break. And it really takes a lot of individuals to support not only the caregiver, but the person living with dementia. So the people who come to you um, for guidance and support and ideas and information, the caregivers, do you find that a lot of them come to you directly? Are they referrals from doctors or how are people finding you? Because I think sometimes you're so busy providing the care, you don't take the time to stop to think, well, I wonder where else I can get help. How are people finding you to get support? It's a great question. So there's a lot of ways that people might reach out to us. One of the best ways is through our 24-7 helpline. Um, We'll talk about that as an option here shortly, I think. Um, But with that being said, our 24-7 helpline is an opportunity for people to call um, and get support immediately or within the next couple of minutes. So that's always an option. Um, But we do connect with physician offices around the around my area as well as around other areas in the state. So if someone walks into um, an office and we have a connection with that physician or that health system, hopefully they then are able to get a referral to us and we're able to then reach out to them to say, we're here for you. Let's talk about your diagnosis. What can we do to best support you moving forward? And is there any fee for your services and your support? Great question. There are no fees for any of our services in terms of care and support. So all of these services that we'll talk about are free of charge. And also, as we get to this discussion later in the interview, donations and fundraisers for Alzheimer's become very important then to be able to provide this great level of care, service, and information does cost. And so we'll talk a little bit about that a little further on. Besides caregivers addressing their own health, I would hope that there is some sort of peer support system or support groups, because really nobody understands this quite like the person who also was going through it. So what's available and what's done for support groups for the caregivers? Great question. So as we talked about earlier, one option, if you'd like to, you can always call the helpline and get immediate support. Uh, That number is one 800 272 3900. And that is everyone on the other end of the line is a mastered level clinician, and they are there to listen, provide empathy and support, and connect you to local resources. Here in the Western Colorado, we do have a support group in Grand Junction that's held at our office. We have a support, a couple of support groups in Montrose, and a couple of support, or a couple of support groups in Durango as well. 
overall in the state of Colorado, we have over 70 support groups that are geared towards caregivers. Some are caregivers that are, um, you know, it's a general dementia caregiver support group. And others are specific to maybe Lewy body dementia or even grieving after dementia. So we do also have specialty support groups. My brain went back to 2020, where I assume support groups could continue but be done virtually. Is that virtual option still available, or do you find that most of your support groups are back to in-person meetings? Great question. So yes, we have all used the term pivot over the past several years. We too had to pivot and went all of our support groups were mostly in person to all virtual. And over the, you know, as the pandemic continues to move forward, unfortunately, but we were able to pivot back a lot to in-person. I would say a lot of the community missed that that in-person connection. So many of our support groups are hosted in person. But the silver lining, I guess, of the pandemic is that we will always have virtual support groups. Some are even hybrid groups as well. So people can join in person or virtually based on what works for their schedule and what their comfort level is as well. There's got to be an advantage for a virtual attendance for some of the smaller counties that don't have their own in-person support groups. The issues that you deal with as a caregiver doesn't matter based on county. It's based on what you're going through. So I would see that that virtual option has got to be great for those in outlying or smaller areas. Exactly. Because there are a lot of communities that, you know, we don't have an in-person support group yet. That is the goal of ours is to reach as many people possible and continue to grow our programs and services. But you're right, Carl. In the meantime, we hope that those virtual groups are available to people if they don't have a support group in their own community. Part of Knowing what the right thing to do is or even setting a plan in motion for providing care for an Alzheimer's patient or a loved one with Alzheimer's has got to be difficult because, as I say, there's no owner's manual. You don't really know the path to plan for the care. Are you guys able to offer some sort of consultation or help with care planning in a way like that? Yeah, we are. Great question. So. You can, again, call that helpline and you can talk with staff on the other end of the line about what we would call a care consultation, or you can meet with your local chapter. Not all chapters do it, but here in the Colorado chapter, we do provide care consultations locally. So what that really looks like is an opportunity to meet one-to-one or maybe with a staff member and your family could also be with the person recently diagnosed with dementia to talk about dementia education. What does this disease mean? What does the process look like? But also to talk about how do we plan best for the future, not only for the person impacted by the disease, but those caregivers and family members as well. And that could be, you know, what does safe driving look like? How do we take the keys away if if we have to? Um, What do we do if we need long-term care assistance? Or even as the disease progresses, what does hospice mean or palliative care mean? And how might we find those resources? Again, not to beat the no owner's manual analogy to death, but really there is an owner's manual in, in a fashion, and it's your local Alzheimer's Association. This is their world. This is what they go through. And when we get to the end, we'll be passing on additional information besides a toll-free number on ways to reach out and get help. But for those who are impacted by Alzheimer's, please know that this amazing organization exists and it's here to help. One of the things, having worked some with patients with Alzheimer's, agitation is one of the 
symptoms that comes from the disease, which potentially can put a caregiver at risk for injury or safety issues. Are you guys able to help with ways to deal with the safety issues around caregiving? Yes. So we often talk a lot about safety. As you mentioned, Carl, some individuals that are diagnosed with dementia may experience frustration, agitation, fear, anxiety. And we really try to normalize that because individuals living with the disease, although we don't know exactly what that feels like, we certainly can empathize with how frustrating this disease might be. And a lot of those other emotions that come with maybe those hallucinations or other behaviors we see with some individuals, not all, living with dementia. So we do have safety um, safety options, and we talk a lot about safety at those care consultations. There's safety information on our website, and there's a lot of safety um, or wandering risk options out there in the community to help with wandering as well. Part of the planning as this disease progresses, as terrible as this might be, is a legal issue because if a person with this dementia and this progressive disease is titled on cars and property and many other things, there's a lot of planning that's probably helpful ahead of time legally, isn't there? Yeah. So we talk a lot about living well with Alzheimer's and dementia and planning for your future. And the earlier we can have an open conversation with that person living with dementia, the better. And although that can be really challenging, some individuals may not want to go there. They may not want to have that conversation yet. Maybe they are in denial. That's also something we, we see often and we can empathize with that. But really what we do, we try to encourage them to have a conversation as soon as possible because the earlier you have that conversation, the more you as the individual living with dementia, you actually get to be involved in your future. You get to make those plans for yourself. You get to write those wishes down. And then if you get to a spot where you're unable to speak for yourself, your caregivers or those individuals that you've chosen to carry out your wishes get to follow exactly what you hoped for as the disease progresses. You've mentioned several times both long-term care and ultimately palliative care and hospice. That is a difficult, difficult decision to make for one of your loved ones. Um, the old, I promised mom that I'll never put her in a nursing home. Sometimes that becomes a choice that has to be made, isn't it? It is. And we talk a lot with caregivers about that, not only what's best for the person living with dementia in terms of level of care and support that they need or deserve, but also from the caregiver's perspective of is what's, you know, is your daily life at this point given as the disease progresses, is it sustainable for your health and your safety, as well as the person living with dementia's health and safety? And so that's often where we see a lot of that guilt as a caregiver kick in. Um, and that's where we would really encourage you to reach out, whether it's to the helpline or your local Alzheimer's Association or even attend a support group so that you can hear from others because you're certainly not alone in making that challenging decision. My father was the administrator of a nursing home in Cory, Colorado in the 1970s when it was first built. And I got to see the care that was provided for dementia patients based on the paradigms and the, the, the models that were in use at that time for care. And now we have so many wonderful facilities that focus on memory care that whether it's a standard nursing home or one that really is specialized on memory care, the care in a long-term setting is a lot better than it used to be, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think the biggest change that, you know, in my time, or at least that, you know, I've, I've heard others talk about is the shift from what we call now is person-centered care. So we are putting that person living with dementia first. Um, and it's not a one-size-fits-all approach because, again, everyone living with dementia is going to experience this disease differently. And it's really important to get to know the person and know who they were, what they loved before the disease so that you can improve their quality of life as best as possible. And I think, you know, I think uh, long-term care facilities are really working on that person-centered care moving forward. Which is just such a blessing, both for the person with the disease and for the family that now has made that decision to choose that type of care to help with that person's needs. Well, let's talk a little bit more about events and things that are coming directly from your chapter. I know the Alzheimer's walk, that was something also impacted by 2020, where it became a virtual walk. So tell us a little bit, if you can, about any upcoming events that might be coming for any of your area here in Western Colorado. Yes. So we are very excited. At this point, we are planning to have in-person walks around the nation. So we have over 600 walks. Typically, they're held in late uh, summer to early fall here in Grand Junction. Our walk is coming up on Saturday, September 24th. We also have a walk in Montrose, Colorado, but it does focus on Montrose, Olathe, and Delta communities. And we also have a walk in Durango as well. So if you're interested in learning more about those, you can go to alz.org slash walk, or you can also always connect with that helpline or your local chapter to learn more. And as you mentioned earlier, Carl, that is one of our ways to raise funds for not only Alzheimer's and dementia research, but it's also a great opportunity for us to be able to continue all of these services we've talked about today, free of charge for the community. And it's a great way to very publicly show your support. Purple is your color, I guess. Purple is our color. That is correct. So we encourage you to wear purple. We always wear purple. That is, it's a mixture of blue and red from our website, and you can go learn more about that and why we are purple if you'd, if you'd like to learn more. Now, I would assume these walks can't happen without some volunteer help. Also, just volunteering to help the Alzheimer's Association. Are you always in a market for volunteers? What's the story there? Great question. And the answer is yes, we are always looking for volunteers. Our organization, our uh, as a nonprofit organization, we heavily rely on volunteers and we're greatly appreciative of all of the dedication and time they give, not only to us as the association, but to those impacted by dementia. So you can either join as a volunteer walk committee. So if you're interested in being in part of the walk or fundraising events, you can always do that. There's also other opportunities to get involved in volunteering more from a what we call a care and support standpoint. That could be support group facilitation or even community education. We provide free community education um, everywhere across the nation and throughout Colorado. And we are always looking for uh, new community educators as we want to reach as many people as possible impacted by the disease. And if you're unable to participate in the walk, certainly help by paying sponsorships to those that can. But I would also think you can make a donation directly to the Alzheimer's Association, correct? You can. So you can always go to our website, alz.org, to learn more about donation options, what that looks like. Or if you, there's always 
a lot of the time local fundraisers happening. So um, sometimes we do them at restaurants or community bars or even local grocery stores at times might have fundraisers going on throughout your community. And if you're interested in donating that way, that's another way to get involved as well. Well, that's just an amazing amount of information. So we've already talked a little bit about the 800 helpline 24-7, and you had talked about the website for the walk. Go ahead and re-give us, if you could, the best way to contact by phone and the best way to contact by website. Yeah, so for immediate support, the helpline um, is the best way, 1-800-272-3900. If you're looking to connect with our local chapter here in the southwestern region of the state, you can connect with me. My number is 970-714-2875, or you can email me at wlbandle at alz.org. So I would like to thank my guest, Wu Bendel, who is the Community Engagement Manager with the Alzheimer's Association of Colorado, the Western Colorado Chapter. Wu, thank you so much for coming in today. You are welcome, and thank you for having me, Carl. It's nice to connect with you, and hopefully we're able to reach more community members that are looking for support or resources or information. We are here to support you. This has been Issues and Answers with Town Square Media. If you would like to suggest a topic for our weekly program, simply open our station app and hit the app chat feature to send us a note about an issue you would like to hear discussed on Issues and Answers. You can also reach us by phone by dialing 970-242-7788. I'm Carl Hughes. Join us next week for another round of Issues and Answers with Town Square Media.